On Enmeshed, we discuss crimes and situations that may be disturbing for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Enmeshed, the show that reveals some of the most poisonous people come disguised as family. Enmeshed family members are fused together by unhealthy emotions instead of the strong bonds that signal a well-functioning family. Boundaries are blurred and unhealthy relationship patterns are formed. Hello and welcome to Enmeshed, the podcast that explores family relationships and crime. I'm Amanda. And I'm Pam. And today we're talking about the elephant in the room of enmeshment. It's the famous case about two status-obsessed brothers driven to murder. That's right, we're talking about the Menendez brothers, Lyle and Eric. Immediately, this case gripped the nation with an almost intoxicating combo of immense wealth, privilege, beautiful people, family drama, Hollywood, and of course, premeditated, cold-blooded parasite. So let's set the stage and go back to the 1980s in Beverly Hills, where Kitty and Jose Menendez were raising their two sons, Lyle and Eric. Jose was a Cuban immigrant who had worked his way from a dishwasher to becoming the head of RCA Records. Kitty was a former teacher and a socialite during their early years together in New York and New Jersey. Let's begin with a little background on the victims. Mary Louise Anderson, nicknamed Kitty, was born to a middle-class family in suburban Chicago where her father owned an air conditioning business. Her home life was very unhappy with a cruel, abusive father and a despondent, battered mother. While Kitty was still a child, her father abandoned the family to move in with his mistress. Embittered, she turned into a moody and depressed child and had very few friends. Eventually, she cut off all contact with her father. She attended college at Southern Illinois University in Carbondale, Illinois. This is where she met her future husband, Jose Menendez, whom she married in 1964. Both of their families were opposed to the marriage his because her parents were divorced, hers because of Jose's Cuban heritage. Jose Menendez was born to a prosperous family in Havana, Cuba. That makes me want to sing that Havana song. Havana, unana. His father was a well-known soccer player who owned his own accounting firm. His mother was a swimmer who had been elected to Cuba's Sports Hall of Fame. Although the family was not among the elite, Jose's parents were celebrity athletes and he and his two sisters wanted for nothing. But in 1959, this seemingly idyllic life was uprooted. Fidel Castro overthrew the ruling government and seized the property of the wealthy and upper middle class. In 1960, 16-year-old Jose left the country to live in the United States. In high school, he was a high achiever and won an athletic scholarship, but could not afford to attend an Ivy League college, so he attended Southern Illinois University. 
After graduating, he passed the CPA exam and he became a successful businessman. In all of his workplaces, he was credited with being highly intelligent and diligent, but was widely disliked as arrogant and rude to coworkers and abrasive to subordinates. In their early married life, Kitty was an elementary school teacher, but after giving birth to her children, Lyle and Eric, she became a full-time homemaker. As her husband climbed up the corporate ladder, their life looked idyllic on the surface. Intelligent, attractive, and charming in public, she appeared to be the ideal wife and mother. However, those who came to know her described her as a high-strung woman who had great difficulty coping with stress, and her husband's repeated extramarital affairs drove her to despair. She coped with her problems by consuming increasing amounts of alcohol and prescription pills, and some of her friends feared she had become dependent on them. In 1987, she attempted suicide by ingesting a bottle of sleeping pills. She recovered, but she and Jose continued to have marital problems, and their relationships with their sons became increasingly strained. While Jose moved from one better-paying job to another, Kitty raised their two sons. Joseph Lyle, born on January 10, 1968, and Eric Galen, born on November 27, 1970. Jose moved the family to Southern California when he became an executive for RCA and became acquainted with a number of show business celebrities. The family dynamic was tense almost immediately. While Kitty and Jose had been happy together before they had children, at some point Jose began having multiple affairs. He reportedly emotionally and physically abused Kitty. She even left him once, but he managed to convince her to come home. Her brother-in-law later said she came back for the boys not for Jose. Which is interesting because there are reports from people who knew the family who said that Kitty wasn't a particularly caring or attentive mother. She also allowed Jose to intimidate and put a ton of pressure on the boys without interference. You know, Kitty may have had daddy issues, which has no precise definition. I could definitely do a whole podcast on that topic. It's become a popular catch-all phrase for how the relationship with one's father in childhood impacts someone in their adulthood life, especially with a father who is absent or emotionally unavailable. In Kitty's case, she continued the generational abuse equals love saga. Jose was tremendously competitive. While this had served him well as a swimmer and businessman, he turned his obsessive compulsion to win onto his sons. In addition to abusing their mother, Jose was overbearing and abusive towards Eric and Lyle, forcing them into hours on end of tennis practice in so-called pain endurance tests, such as holding Eric's head underwater. He controlled their every move, even sending signals from the stands on how to cheat during tennis matches. He had no problem firing coaches that disagreed with him. He also forced Lyle to wear an actually nicely made toupee due to his early balding. Balding at such a young age was an embarrassment to their image. Eric didn't even know his brother wore a toupee until Kitty tore it off of Lyle during a rage. And here's where it gets really rough. 
We know from extensive testimony from the brothers and other people in their lives that Jose was allegedly sexually molesting both of the boys in sadistic and psychologically torturous ways. It was also alleged that Kitty was sexually abusing the boys as well. The abuse started at age six with both Eric and Lyle. According to testimony and interviews with Lyle, Jose stopped abusing Lyle when he was about eight years old. However, Lyle was unaware that Eric was being abused his entire life up until the two decided to murder their parents. It needs to be noted that the abuse allegations were not expressed by either of the boys until they were sentenced to life imprisonment. We're jumping ahead a little bit here, but it's important to establish that from the get-go, the Menendez home was apparently a hellscape of emotional, physical, and sexual abuse. Neighbors, friends, family, co-workers, and coaches could all recount Jose's terrible temper and Kitty's detachment. It seems easy to look at it from the outside and say, why don't the boys just leave? They're old enough. But according to Candace DeLong, who was a former FBI profiler, criminologist, and host of Killer Psyche, abuse victims have survival instincts and live from moment to moment. They are seemingly unable to problem-solve and look into the future. Plus, these two were dependent on the money and the lifestyle. In 1986, when Lyle and Eric were teenagers and Jose moved the family to Beverly Hills from the East Coast, Jose made a fortune in live entertainment by being ruthless and aggressive. The family lived in a mansion that had previously been owned by celebrities like Elton John and Michael Jackson. At this stage, both Eric and Lyle had become star tennis players, but only made average grades. Lyle played tennis for Princeton University until he was suspended for a year for plagiarism. Eric displayed even greater talent, eventually becoming a nationally ranked tennis player in high school. Even with abounding wealth, the boys would commit small crimes like stealing jewelry from neighbors. Jose once wrote a check for $11,000 to a neighbor to make this larceny issue go away. I guess this became the norm, even though Jose would threaten to kill the boys if they embarrassed him, which was probably not the right consequence for these petty crimes. This is what enmeshment looks like, folks. Now this brings us to 1989, when Lyle was 21 and Eric was 18. Let's take a short break, and we'll start getting into the night of the murders when we return. Are you planning an event with audio and visual needs but are not sure where to start? Waves Entertainment can help. Waves Entertainment is your premier full-service management company with high-quality custom solutions for any size event. Whether you are planning a large festival or concert, a corporate meeting or wedding, Waves Entertainment will power your event to excellence. Our team of industry professionals work closely with your vision to ensure your audience hears every word, sees every detail, and remembers the experience. Our goal is to ensure your event is customized to fit your needs and provide professional-grade equipment to amplify your message. From live stage production and talent booking to vendor coordination, event staffing, and more, Waves Entertainment is your one-stop shop for the perfect event. Visit our website, wavesentertainment.com, or give us a call at 704 662 
704-662-2435. That's 704-662-2435. Waves Entertainment, powering your event to excellence. So let's do a quick recap. While we haven't said it explicitly, I think it's pretty clear that the Menendez family had a lot of money, which was estimated to be around $14 million, fancy cars, and a Beverly Hills mansion. It's also very clear that there were horrible things happening in the Menendez house, largely by Jose's hands. He was emotionally, physically, and sexually abusing his wife and sons, just terrorizing the whole family constantly. Kitty was emotionally removed, addicted to drugs and alcohol, and evidently had no interest in protecting her sons from Jose's wrath and molestation. It's also worth noting that for this episode, we're using Lyle and Eric's defense. As we get into it more in part two next week, another theory was put forward as to why the brothers murdered their parents. So Lyle alleged that code names were used by his father for four types of sex. Knees stood for oral sex. Nice sex meant massaging his genitals. Sex meant anal penetration. And rough sex meant he would force Lyle to perform oral sex on him while sticking sharp tacks and needles into his thighs and buttocks. So gross. Oh, wow. So Lyle also stated his mother washed him until he was 13 and that she forced him to touch her everywhere on her body. Lyle went on to say he took Eric into the woods and molested him with a toothbrush, repeating some of the terrible acts that his father perpetrated on him. Later in the courtroom, both brothers, along with most people in the courtroom, were in tears at these shocking revelations. Now, these allegations were never proven or reported to authorities prior to the witness stand defense. I am, however, inclined to believe a witness that came forward, their cousin, Vander Molen, who spent summers living with a family and testified at the first trial that Lyle had confided in her about the sexual abuse in the summer of 1976, when she was 17 and he was only eight. She went on to say that when Lyle was 15 and Eric was 12, she thought it was strange that the boys would argue over who got to sleep in the bed with her mom when Jose was out of town. As we mentioned earlier, Lyle claimed he didn't know the extent of Jose's abuse towards Eric. A few weeks before August 20th, 1989, Eric told Lyle the abuse had started again. The brothers confronted Jose and said they were going to go public with the abuse. Jose threatened to kill them both if they didn't keep the abuse a secret. Now, the parents had some rifles in their bedroom. Kitty's Mercedes had been stolen out of their own driveway one evening, so they decided it would be best if they were armed in case of any burglaries. Lyle and Eric, who were worried that their parents would kill them with the rifles, bought their own shotguns at a sporting goods store over 100 miles away from their parents' house on August 18, 1989. The next night, Jose chartered a yacht to take the family shark fishing, which seems kind of weird. The boat's operator would later say that the environment was tense and the brothers largely avoided their parents and the parents avoided one another. So that brings us to the night of the murders. 
On the evening of August 20th, 1989, Kitty, who was 47, and Jose, who was 45, had fallen asleep in front of the TV in their den. Lyle and Eric each took a 12-gauge shotgun and entered the room, shooting a total of 15 rounds into the couple. Jose was shot in the back of the head, and Kitty, who woke up in the middle of the onslaught, was shot in the face, arm, and chest. The former beauty queen was rendered unrecognizable due to the shotgun blast, but did not die instantly. The worst part is when they were shooting her, they deliberately went back outside to their car to refill their guns, then came back into the house and finished her off. Overkill. After changing out of their bloodied clothes, the brothers fled the scene to a movie theater. Evidently, they tried to buy tickets to Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson's Batman, but that was sold out, so they saw a James Bond movie instead and tried to use this as their alibi. Later in the night, they returned home and quote-unquote discovered the grisly scene. Lyle called 911, hysterically yelling, Someone killed our parents! as Eric fake cried in the background. The authorities arrived and, for the time being, bought the act. They neglected to test the brothers' hands for gunshot residue, instead focusing their investigation on the possibility that Kitty and Jose were killed in a mob hit as it was gruesome and barbaric. Let's listen to the 911 call Lyle made when they returned home that night. police arrived, they found Eric sobbing on the lawn before entering the house. They also ignored a pretty big inconsistency, as Lyle and Eric claimed there was gunshot smoke in the air when they arrived home. 
Any smoke would have dissipated quickly, meaning the brothers either would have had to have arrived immediately on the heels of the murderers, or they were lying. And the question would be, what were they lying about? And that's where we'll pick back up with part two of the Menendez brothers next week, covering their spending spree, trials, a crazy therapist with his own drama, and the years since that horrid night in 1989. We'll see you next Monday. Thank you for listening. All of our sources are in today's show notes, as well as those important resources. You can find us at enmeshed underscore true crime podcast on Instagram or enmeshed true crime podcast on Facebook and let us know what you think. You can also get a behind the scenes look at the show and chat with us about any of the cases you've heard here or share case suggestions. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to keep up with Enmeshed, and join us every Monday for fresh takes on stale relationships. Enmeshed is an Oh No production. Oh no!